Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as Linda says, on a joyous, sunny, getting warm morning. <laughs> it's the show that helps you grow. It 100% is the show that helps you grow, and it's going to really help you grow today because we have our friend Jennifer Norheim with us, who is on our pastoral care team at Saddleback Church. She is like incredibly smart on all things related to helping people kind of understand themselves a little bit better. And we, so last week we had a conversation with Gary Chapman around the five love languages. Today we wanted to have a conversation around the book, How We Love by Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, which really kind of talks about uh, attachment styles. And so if you've that, if that's not a phrase you've ever heard of, we're going to dive into that. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. We're excited to have this conversation with you. And um, so f for people who may not be familiar with the book, How We Love, can you just kind of give us a little bit overview of what it's about, what the point of it is? Sure. First, let me say thank you for letting me be here. And honestly, it's an honor to represent this book, um, mainly because as not only a therapist who works with marriages, but also in my own life, this, this book was very transformative um, and really impactful mm. in, um, in opening up my awareness to how people relate, how people think, how people love. And of mm. course, um, I get to represent a little bit of this today. So in general, um, the book, and frankly, I just cheated. I looked at the front of it and said, okay, <laughs> what are the four parts um, of the book? And it's broken down into four main parts, okay? So the first is understanding, well, what, um, what is the way that each of us connects and loves our spouse or our mate? And um, how is that? And it is directly correlated with our early childhood experiences of love as well as how we were comforted. Hmm. Um, now there's two key questions that I love in this book and I use them all the time when I'm working with couples. And that is first, um, what is your earliest memory of comfort? Hmm. And hmm. Um, it's really a question of going, stop and consider um, a point of emotional pain where as a child you were really hurting and did someone comfort you in that space? Mm -hmm. And if they did, what did that look like? Wow. Um, and if they didn't, what was that experience for you as well? The second question that they um, address in the book is how was conflict or stress handled in your family? And you know, were you as a child allowed to express your feelings? Um, was there healthy resolution when you saw conflict happen um, to a point that um, brought comfort and relief for you as a child? So when we explore those answers to those questions, then stories start to appear around mm -hmm. those questions, right? And so we get a better understanding of then um, how our love style, as Kay and Mylan refer to it in their book, begins to develop. Mm. Um, and so there's a four, five, five, excuse me, five key love styles, the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator, and then um, the chaotic, which includes victim um, and controller, and then the secure. So I, I think we'll probably be talking about those later. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So it's, again, it's a very, it's that this is a different conversation than the one that we had last week around the five love languages. So could you just share for, for, for our listeners who listened last week, mm. um, to what, what, how would you describe the difference between the five love languages and between these attachment styles from how we love? Mm, good question. Um, <laughs> I love um, Gary Chapman's five love languages. I mean, it's just such an insightful book. And 
I think really when you think of both books, they both have similarity in that they both at least consider, okay, well, where did this way that we love others yeah. come from, right? Mm -hmm. So it comes from that, you know, what did we learn as a child? And, and then how do we express that in our relationships today? So that's definitely um, a parallel between the both of the books. And, you know, obviously they both as, as you know, Kay and Myland as well as Gary were, um, deeply involved and are deeply involved in counseling. So they have had a lot of test subjects to yeah. kind of run their <laughs> yeah. theory by. So there's some similarities in that as well. I think one of the key differences is that um, the five love languages is focused um, more specifically, I would say, um, it has more of a behavioral bent and in, in that it's like identifying, hey, here is something that you can get some insight from, understanding sure. how are you best loved and how can you most effectively love the people in your life? And right. when you love them more effectively, you fill their tank, right? Right, right. And I'm really thankful sometimes that I filled my husband's love tank because <laughs> I give him many, many opportunities <laughs> to drain that tank. So again, appreciate that book, but it's much more of a skill tool focused with those insights sure. book. Mm -hmm. Where I would say Kay and Mylan, um, their book is much more focused on deeper core changes because those early developmental experiences um, create patterns of behavior that really are deeply infused and embedded and are unconscious the way we even choose our partners, the way in which we yeah. interact with our partners, all of that kind of shows up. And um, so they're really working more on historical awareness and healing and taking a deeper dive into why these behaviors exist and creating insight and change. And that's going to be growth over time mm -hmm. rather than maybe an, a, a quick tool that you can apply and see the results immediately. Uh, certainly there are some immediate benefits to the how we love material, but it's also really working on some deeper core patterns. Mm. I love that. I love that. So we've used some words so far and I want to kind of go back and define them a little bit. So Milan and Kay write about five loves or five attachment styles. And so what is an attachment style or a love style? So just in general, what is that? And then you kind of named the love love styles, but let's talk about them a little bit. Okay, great. Well, um, attachment style is based really on attachment theory. And so this is a more research theory. Um, and it's really, if I was going to break it down to the bare essentials, yeah. um, it would be about um, recognizing that we relate to our significant others in um, somewhat unconscious patterns. Those patterns are deeply enmeshed um, beliefs sometimes that we have about ourselves and about others and about how relationships work. And so that attachment style is developed during our early formative years based on our generally our parental or significant caretaker um, relationships. And, um, and so as a result, you know, we carry those patterns, how we do communication, how we love, how we respond to conflict, how we find comfort and relief, how, what we expect of our relationships. We carry all of that into our relationships mm. on some level unknowing unknowingly, yeah. right? You know, we're just this whole package of, of stuff going on <laughs> and we marry this other person that's a whole package of stuff going on and then they collide and then we wonder why we have conflict. Right. So the attachment styles help gain clarity around where do all these beliefs, thoughts, expectations, um, ways that I behave come from, where are they rooted? And then from there, do I need to readjust those mm. thoughts, beliefs, expectations mm -hmm. based on biblical truth? based on um, adult healthy relationships maybe right. I didn't experience as a child. So um, that's the essence of attachment 
theory in a very nutshell kind yeah. of way. Yeah. And the laypersons understand why it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and the five love styles, I can break them down a little bit for you. Kind of yeah. talk about, yeah, that'd be great. Of it. Um, so bear with me. Uh, the avoider, uh, is one of those attachment styles and a person who is an avoider, um, they have grown up in a family dynamic that um, places a high value on independence and mm. self-reliance. So they were really encouraged to take care of themselves. They may have even been praised for being so independent sure. and taking care of themselves. And so because of that, um, they are really about productivity and doing. They also are often raised in a family that belittles feelings, devalues mm. taking the time to really process through things. So they rarely received comfort when they had feelings and nor did they really have an idea of how to, how to even define what those feelings were. So wow. when we see a person who has avoidant attachment issues and an adult version of themselves, yeah. um, avoiders um, can often be more emotionally distant, which is mm. understandable, right? Yeah. Because they had no experience of processing emotions or even knowing what emotions are. They can be very distant and unengaged. Mm. Um, they'll often tell you when you sense, gosh, something's going on with you, they'll say, I'm fine. Uh, and they truly believe, hey, I'm fine. Um, and they tend to get over bad things quickly. So. Um, again, they prize independence as an adult and they actually expect and want that in their relationships sure. as well. So mm -hmm. they can get annoyed when others are needy, needy. or want something mm -hmm. from them, right? And so um, they are very comfortable being in their own space, doing their own thing and others not asking much of them. And they struggle with having much of a range of emotion. So that's an avoidant attachment. Okay. Now I want to um, say something before I move on to the next one. And that is, as attachments in general, I say, you know, if you're an avoider, if you're a pleaser, I feel like that's a label, right? And so we always need to remember, and I love how Celebrate Recovery does. Mm -hmm. It's like, I am a believer in Christ who happens to struggle with, yeah. I have, uh, who happens to have this attachment injury. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember that who we are and that understanding why and how we function is beneficial but it's not who, who we, we are. are. It's not our identity. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so that's my little disclaimer. That's a good, <laughs> well, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> it's important because some people hear it and they say, okay, well, this is me. And then you almost, you, you know, can dive into it head first or use it as, you know, and saying just, okay, this is, you know, I am this, I am this, I'm this. And, and just what you said, like what CR has taught us so well is, that's not your defining trait. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, how you interact or that's how you respond, but you don't have to stay that way. You can learn, you can grow. Yes. And you'll hear many people say who understand this, they'll say, I'm a recovering pleaser. I'm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's good. so, so they're recognizing that it's a struggle that impacts them, but it's not something that defines them. Sure. Um, the next attachment style that they talk about in the book is the pleaser. Now a pleaser will usually grow up in a home that's really either overprotective. This is the helicopter hovering parent mm -hmm. who's afraid of everything or they're growing up in an environment where they have an angry or critical parent. Mm. And so they're going to do their best to be the good kid. Mm -hmm. And they do that because that's the way they avoid the trouble and the problems. <laughs> they don't want to trigger the parent being emotionally reactive. And so um, they learn really quick that they need to monitor the moods of the people around them mm -hmm. and make sure that people stay happy. And that helps soothe their anxiety then, right? And so they're really attuned to other people's moods. Um, unfortunately, because their role as a child is often about comforting other people, 
they aren't receiving comfort themselves. And so as kids, they don't, again, have a lot of self-awareness and they grow up as adults who don't have a lot of self-awareness about their needs. Mm -hmm. So um, the adult version of a pleaser is a person who's seeking connection by trying to avoid rejection. And they do that by anticipating your every need and trying to meet that need as much as possible. Um, and again, that's based on just their childhood experiences of feeling anxious when others are upset or worried or overwhelmed. Um, so when conflict happens with their spouse, then they're often quick to make up. They'll even maybe at times take the blame um, for a fight, even if they don't have to take responsibility for something, because <laughs> they really are more invested in moving past the emotional tension um, that causes them anxiety than being right. So unfortunately, that challenges them in the area of honesty, right? Mm. And sometimes they're less than honest because they don't want to say no when they should say no. Um, and so they will compromise themselves to keep the other person happy. I feel so seen. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, it's lovely to be in a relationship with a pleaser at times. Sometimes it depends on your attachment style. Sure. Sometimes it can feel a little smothering or a little too much. Mm -hmm. yeah. But at the same time, you know, a pleaser is there to take care of your every emotional need and so it can feel kind of nice at times <laughs> um, but it's not the healthiest place for the pleaser nor sure. does it really promote honesty in the mm -hmm. relationship as a whole yeah mm -hmm. um, so next we have the vacillator the vacillator in attachment literature is called the ambivalent attachment and i like the the vacillate ambivalent because the descriptor really says hey there's part of me that wants to really connect with you and then there's another part of me that's not so sure about that um, and and so they have that tentativeness about them there's a definite longing with a vacillator to want to be connected in relationship but because their growing up environment as children was very unpredictable inconsistent mm. Um, in, in ways of getting emotional connection. So this is the child who maybe has an emotional need and at times the parent is available and actually can comfort them or be with them. And so they know what it feels like to have connection. Mm -hmm. But then other times if it's inconvenient mm. for the parent or something else is going on where the parent is unavailable, then the child is left waiting. And so there's a sense of, I can't predict. Wow. You know? And so there mm. again comes that anxiety. And so um, as the child waits, for the parent to come and comfort them, sometimes they can get angry. Mm -hmm. And so the sad part is, is it's like maybe the parent then comes in a little too late and says, well, let me care for you. And at that point, the child is angry. They push back and they don't want you know them wow. now. And so this, they don't get the connection and comfort that they need. Wow. So it's almost self-sabotaging in a way. Mm -hmm. And we see that same pattern in their adult um, relationships as well, is that a, an adult vacillator is really on a quest. They're on a quest to um, find that consistent love that they never received as a child. So sometimes you'll see with um, adult vacillators that they ideal re idealize relationships quickly. So they start dating someone and they're the most amazing person ever, right? <laughs> and it goes really, really well until it doesn't, until reality hits, right? Because we all know that there's that romance stage and then there's sure. a reality stage mm -hmm. right and you know and they don't cope with the reality stage yeah. well because they've idealized the relationship so immediately they're disappointed and so that disappointment is expressed and unfortunately just like the protesting child it's expressed in an angry way and so that can then push the person that they need and want comfort from away rather than drawing them in wow so you can hear with the vacillating attachment style that push pull wow um, that mm -hmm. happens in connections um, vacillators are very 
emotionally sensitive hmm. feel a lot. And so um, I have compassion for those who struggle with the vacillating attachment style because they carry the most painful feelings with inside wow. themselves. And they often feel very misunderstood by others because they haven't learned how to express their sadness. Mm. Instead, it wow. translates out as anger. And so then they don't ever get that connection that they need. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Sometimes people who are in relationship with vacillators will describe it as I'm walking on eggshells a lot because oh. I don't know. I try really hard to meet their needs, but it's never enough. And then they're angry. And then again, it's just this dance yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. that goes between them. So the final two styles of attachment are the controller and the victim. And um, they're also kind of lumped together as the chaotic love styles because really with the victim and the controller, they um, grew up in similar environments, which mm -hmm. are chaotic environments mm -hmm. that created high, high anxiety for them. So most of the time, those types of environments involve some form of abuse. Um, and so, you know, there's no room for comfort there. Mm. There's no room for their feelings there. There's mm. no room to process any of their own needs or to be heard in those type of dynamics in their family growing up. So instead, they figure out how to survive that environment. Now, the difference between the two, the controller and the victim, is really their response okay. to that environment, right? So um, that childhood environment left them, left them in a place of either deciding, I'm gonna be in control, or I'm going to be controlled. Hmm. And so that's the difference between the two. So the controller is that I'm gonna be in control person. So the controller will choose to control things mm -hmm. to keep the vulnerable, painful feelings they experience as a child away. Because they don't wanna feel, and they don't know how to feel and deal. And so um, having control for them means in some ways protecting them from those fearful feelings. Sure. Um, the humiliation perhaps they experienced or the helplessness they experienced. So they gravitate towards anger because anger, of course, is a not, not a vulnerable emotion, right? right? So, you control. so it's, it, it works really, right? And so it works in the sense of that they're in charge. Um, at times you may see a controller who's very rigid, who's trying to navigate and manage everyone in their relationship. Um, and if things are going their way, they can be less controlling. Right. But um, when push comes to shove, they'll use control to manipulate, um, mm -hmm. to put them, um, or intimidation to manipulate um, their relationships and put them back in power. Mm -hmm. um, the victim, on the other hand, is learned as a child to be the compliant kid. Um, um, this is how they survive. So they basically look to fly under the radar at all costs. Mm. And so in that, you know, they're, they are disconnected from their self and their own emotional pain. Their radar is always up um, looking for, okay, what is the potential danger ahead mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how do I duck out of it? Um, so you'll often hear people who are victims describe themselves as feeling invisible. Mm -hmm. And that invisible mm -hmm. layer is that layer of protection and safety. But of course you can understand how that's gonna affect connection sure. and relationships, right? So, you know, um, really they're just more that quiet, holding all that pain inside and not knowing how to process that pain. And so um, hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity to that sure, one, of course, but, you of know, course. in general, that's it. That's the, that's the victim. The controller comes from that chaotic background. Hmm. So as I'm listening, it's like all of these seem like they've come from, as you've described, you know, hurts in childhood and, and 
sort of how they grew up, but none of them seems ideal. Is there an ideal or a healthy attachment style? Like, is there one that's good or are we all just messed up? <laughs> and what does that look yes like? Yes and yes. Yes, there's one good and yes, we're all messed up. Okay, but, great. <laughs> just simply because none of, us, none of us had ideal, perfect, sure. you know, childhoods, you know, as parents and being a parent, you know, mm-hmm. most certainly we all do the best we can with sure. what we know. And so what we often see is we see replication, intergenerational replication sure. of patterns, right? And so, yes, there is more a more ideal form of attachment. It's called the secure attachment. Okay. And that would be, I think, what we all would strive towards. Okay. Um, Incidentally, I think really the most secure attachment is the attachment we have with God, right? Mm, you know, in the sense of that we can fully be ourselves, be fully known, and be fully loved. And so there's a lot of beauty in that. So those that are, have a less secure attachment, their relationship with the Lord can be a powerful um, agent in the process of healing. So what does a secure attachment look like? Well, you know, secure attachments are developed when we're raised in a family where we've watched conflict happen, where it's like parents have allowed us to have feelings and then they've helped us to figure out how to process through and deal with those feelings. Mm -hmm. Where if our parents got in a fight, we saw that, but we also saw the resolution of that fight. So we know we don't have to be afraid of emotions. We don't have to be afraid of conflict. We have the freedom to be our honest selves in relationship, knowing that the partner we're with can tolerate that and can actually work with that and love me through that kind of thing right so that's the conflict piece and then there's just the attachment piece in and of itself that that a parent can tolerate the child that's messy right (laughs) and you know you're having a tantrum I don't like your behavior but I still love you yeah so those sends that sends a message of that our attachment is secure despite when we hit little Bumps, bumps in the road kind of thing, right? <laughs> and so um, knowing your yourself, knowing your emotions, knowing and understanding other people and their emotions, right? So there's a reciprocity there. Yeah. And that it's not just about me, but it's also about um, being in relationship with someone else and feeling comfortable knowing that they're messy too and they have their stuff too. And so a secure connection is one where we can relate in that healthy way. Wow. As you were talking, Jennifer, in explaining all of the different attachment styles, which I think was extraordinarily helpful for people who were listening, and I'm sure that people were going, "Hey, wait, that sounds that that that, that sounds like me." And yeah. so, if if that if that's you, we encourage you to check out the book because it goes even more in depth into into these different uh, attachment styles and what they mean. Uh, but as I was thinking about it, and then when you brought it back to the secure. Um, attachment um, in talking about our relationship with God, it made me think about these attachment styles. They sound and, and please correct me if I'm wrong if I'm, if I'm thinking about this in the wrong way. Is they? It's I was thinking about them in terms of how we react to others, mm-hmm. and it almost explains a little bit about our instinctual way that we react to changes or to the way that somebody else is acting. So, for example. Um, avoider they don't like something that somebody else said or did or whatever and instead of confronting or or talking about it they just want to go away they just want to act like it didn't happen or um um or you're talking about the victim and that kind of stuff and there's all these so it's it's uh it's very it's dependent on how other people are acting and it explains a little bit about how where our instinctual responses whereas the secure attachment and talking about our relationship with christ 
God is never changing. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so beautiful about it is we never have to wonder or feel like God is going to be upset today or, or, or how God is going to be acting today. And how do I have to change, you know, how do I have to adapt or, or change or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's knowing that God is who he is. He is unchanging. His character is unchanging. And we can have that secure attachment because we, as you get to know God better and better, you realize that he is who he is. I can be, I don't have to worry about stepping on eggshells, like what you were talking about around yes. God. I don't have yes. to worry about what, what kind of mood he's going to be in today, or <laughs> is it, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I yeah. just, I, I just, I saw some beauty in that. For sure. For sure. I mean, there's, you know, God is the same yesterday, today and forever, you yeah. know, and in that um, there is security right? And knowing who God is. Unfortunately, if you have um, an unsecure attachment style, then many times you project sure. onto God all these things, right? You know, God is a punishing God because mm -hmm. I grew up in a family that was chaotic and abusive. And so authority means to me that God demands things of me and I must comply. So you have to work through the complexities of wow. God, of recognizing that even in our attachment style, it affects the way that we can view God. But in the healing process is where we really discover who God is. And so the power of his word and the truth of his word start penetrating our heart. And we challenge then these beliefs and ideas of who we think God is wow. based on our childhood attachment styles yeah. and who the God of the Bible is as we experience him in our growth and healing. Hmm. Um, so it's very powerful. I love that. that way. I love that. I want to be I want to be honoring of your time in the time of Todd Oltoff, a friend of the pod, uh, who you will be meeting with uh, in a few minutes. So, <laughs> so I, I so I wanted to again point people to the book. If you have not seen the if you have not read the book, do that. I love like I remember doing a, a attachment type assessment do, during premarital counseling. I don't know if they still do that, but I remember doing that um, all those years ago, and um, it was it was great to see on paper that I am a people pleaser, which I knew, um, but. But um, <laughs> when you see it in writing, it makes but it the real, assessment man. makes it clear. Um, <laughs> um, but I wanted to tie two questions together that'll lead us to the end of our, our conversation today. Um, first, how can understanding these attachment styles help us navigate other relationships that we have in our lives? And then, what sort of tools um, would you recommend to people? to help them kind of understand their, maybe their attachment styles better or to navigate, um, attachment styles. Well, I'm going to start with what you refer to. And that is, is the assessment. Cause honestly, that's probably the easiest way to, to at Great. least get on the road to defining and understanding what your attachment style is. And it's wonderfully simple. And that is, you can go to the, how we love website. They actually have an assessment test that you can okay. take online. That's perfect. We'll, which will drive we'll put the you. link in the show notes, by which the way. So, great. so if you're looking to do that, go in the show notes or the description and you'll see that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that will help you to begin to go, okay, well, what really resonates with me? Mm. Um, a common question people have is like, well, can I have the same attachment style with every relationship or does it look different in different relationships? Um, what we know is that attachment styles 
you know, pre predominantly a year one attachment style, it usually shows up more strongly in your sure. closest, yeah. um, most connected relationships, right? So that explains why, okay, you know, I don't behave this way with my friend, only with my husband, so therefore it must be my husband and not my attachment mm, style, That's right? interesting. <laughs> um, so anyway, I digress. So really, um, I think it's so, so beneficial for us to really understand what our attachment style is because it gives us the opportunity to really self-reflect. Mm. And, you know, the reality is, is we can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. And so when we really look at and understand, well, how am I wired and what am I bringing into this relationship? Yeah. What good things am I bringing in and what things do I need to really examine and go, hmm, maybe this is something that is, is sabotaging what I'm really longing wow. for. Mm. You know, this is not working and it's not giving me the connection and comfort I need. And so having the ability to understand our patterns and then begin the course of considering and challenging those patterns is really what's going to benefit us in the long run. So um, there's lots and lots of tools in the book. Um, I use this book all of the time um, because of the fact that it does mm -hmm. give um, not only the description of the attachment styles, but also specific healthy like growth goals is what oh, that's they great. call them, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like if you're a pleaser, if you're an avoider, if you're um, a vacillator, here's something that you could start and work on. So mm. vacillators are challenged, you know, instead of going straight to mad, take a moment, take a pause mm. and consider what sad is going on inside of you. Slow it down a little wow. bit. So that's one of the growth goals. So they have those for every single one of the attachments styles. And so it can really help you. And I can guarantee you, as you start to change and grow, you're going to impact the relationships you have. Um, and that's the plus, right? Yeah. Um, the other things the book have uh, has that I think are really beneficial is they have something called the comfort circle. And it's a really effective mm. tool of learning how to communicate with your partner, not just sort of like, here's communication tools. You listen, <laughs> you talk, you take turns, sure. you know, those pieces are included, but it really um, helps to um, make you more aware of the depth of conversation, that listening is more than just hearing the words, but really hearing the heart, hearing mm, the emotion, understanding potentially the pain that drives those feelings. And so they walk you through what they call the comfort circle, which is basically a communication um, model. And there's on the website actually a video of Kay working with a couple, walking them through it, which shows you the power mm. of this tool. So I would highly recommend it wow. if you want to be working on yourself and in your relationships that you consider watching that video and just spending a little bit of time um, on the website. Yeah, what I love about this little mini series that we're in last week with Gary and today with you. And then next week, we're going to have the Gregory's back on George and Tondra Gregory to kind of do um, a putting the five love languages, putting these attachment types with how we love together and really just talking about practical ways that we can engage our relationships, knowing more about ourselves and learning more about the other person. And I, I just love that the real, I, I think the heart behind all of this is the importance to take your time and have some intentionality in learning more, not just about yourself, but about your partner, about your spouse, mm -hmm. about your friends, about your coworker, or whatever it is. Yes. And that's that that'll go a long way to build healthy relationships. I think so many times we enter relationships that are just 
kind of cursory where we're just kind of like, um, great, I know you, great, I, you know, but in, and it just kind of stays at that surface level and you're not doing anything to truly deepen mm-hmm. the relationships. But taking the time to think about how does the other person feel loved or to think about how does the other person uh, instinctually go to, like, what is it about their past or about about things that drive them to um, act a certain way or to think a certain way in different instances? Mm-hmm. Like, is as you it's as you enter this intention. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love yeah. it. I'm just jumping in because something you're saying it just reminded me of how people sometimes define intimacy. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, intimate connection and just the word intimacy into me you see. Mm, that's and good. that's really what you're describing is that yeah. really trying to go. Okay, I want. I want to be in a healthy relationship with you. That means that I need to be willing to look into you and your experiences and your pain. Um, and that creates intimacy and connection. That's great. I love that. Into me, you see. Yeah. That's good. Well, the lights turned off in the room that we're recording in. So that means it's, uh, it's just about time to wrap up. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it that this was, I, I've loved everything. And guys, if again, buy the book, uh, go if you have not listened to last week's episode with Gary Chapman, do so because next week we're going to kind of put these pieces together and really uh, dive into some practical ways that we can use these ideas and these tools in our relationships. So, friends, we love you. We'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week